This is a Socialist News and Views special report. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special report. It's been a busy week and many of us are exhausted for one reason or another, so this week's report will be kept relatively short. As I record this on Wednesday, November 9th, I still haven't fully gotten my voice back after screaming at bankers with other nurses last week. Make sure to check out coverage of the MNA nurses protest at U.S. Bank on Unicorn Riot as they have some great coverage Tuesday was the midterm elections in the United States. While many results are yet to come in, it seems clear we did not see a so-called red wave and we did not see a so-called blue wave. And as with all elections, the number of eligible voters who did not vote was higher than either party's results. To me, no decisive victory for either party and a huge portion of eligible voters deciding not to vote means that neither party has adequately addressed the many crises currently facing working people This is because both parties take huge amounts of money and therefore represent corporations and the rich. It's clear as ever that a primary task in the U.S. is to build a party that clearly represents working people against the exploitation of the rich. Since there's no clear indication that such a party will be built anytime soon, in the meantime, we need to bring maximum pressure to bear on whatever ruling class party happens to be in power in our area and across the country. This means maintaining our independence from either mainstream party while engaging in strikes, protests, shutting down roads, and other militant actions so that politicians can no longer ignore us. We need to pressure politicians, but know that they will be trying to pressure us to accept outcomes that are within the bounds of what the business community and ruling rich will accept. Regardless of other activist strategy during the election period, now is the time to come together, maintain our independence from any politician in power, and demand an end to the corporate rule of our country. I know there's a lot of work to do on this front, but we are the ones we've been waiting for, and nobody else is going to do it for us. As far as the election goes, there were a handful of interesting positive developments as it relates to ballot measures, which I briefly will cover now. Marijuana, Abortion, Climate, How the U.S. Voted Down the Ballot in Midterms is the title of an article from The Guardian on November 9th from Victoria Bekempis, Carrie Paul, and Miranda Bryant. In it, it says, quote, California and Vermont voted to protect abortion rights in their state's constitution, while in Michigan, a closely watched presidential battleground, voters approved a ballot measure affirming the right to make personal reproductive decisions without interference, end quote. The article also stated, quote, in three states, Alabama, Tennessee, and Vermont, voters approved measures to ban slavery and involuntary servitude as a punishment for crime, while Oregon remained too close to call, end quote. We'll end today with a short essay from Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci. First, for those who don't know Gramsci, I'll read the majority of three paragraphs from an introduction to his life by Frank Rosengarten. Here's that introduction. In 1915, despite great promise as an academic scholar, Gramsci became an active member of the PSI, Italian Socialist Party, and began a journalistic career that made him among the most feared critical voices in Italy at the time. He regularly spoke at workers' study circles on various topics such as the novels of Romain Rolland, the Paris Commune, and the French and Italian revolutions, and the writings of Karl Marx. 
The outbreak of the Bolshevik Revolution in October 1917 further stirred his revolutionary ardor and for the remainder of the war, and in the years thereafter, Gramsci identified himself closely, although not entirely uncritically, with the methods and aims of the Russian revolutionary leadership and with the cause of socialist transformation throughout the advanced capitalist world. In the spring of 1919, Gramsci, together with Angelo Tasca, Umberto Terracini, and Togliatti founded L'Ordine Nuovo, the New Order in English, a weekly review of socialist culture, which became an influential periodical on a weekly and later on a bi-monthly publishing schedule for the following five years among the radical and revolutionary left in Italy. The review gave much attention to political and literary currents in Europe, the USSR, and the United States. And now, from Antonio Gramsci, 1919, Revolutionaries and Elections. Sources, L'Ordine Nuovo, 15th November 1919, translated for Marxist.org by Michael Carley. Here it is. What do conscious revolutionaries expect of the elections? Those workers and peasants who consider the Parliament of Deputies elected by universal suffrage, of the exploiters and the exploited, according to territorial constituencies, the mask of the bourgeois dictatorship? Certainly they do not expect the conquest of a half plus one of the seats and a legislature which is characterized by a shower of decrees and laws which tend to round off the corners and make easier and handier the cohabitation of the two classes, that of the exploiters and that of the exploited. They expect instead that the electoral strength of the proletariat will manage to bring into parliament a solid core of socialist party activists, and that this will be numerous and hardened enough to form a stable and strong government, to thus force the bourgeoisie out of democratic equivocation out of legality and bring about a rising of the deepest and wildest layers of the working class against the oligarchy of the exploiters. The conscious revolutionaries, the workers and peasants, who are now convinced that the communist revolution will only come about through the dictatorship of the proletariat incarnate in a system of workers and peasants councils, have struggled to send many socialist deputies to parliament because they have reasoned in this way. The communist revolution cannot be realized with a single blow. If even a revolutionary minority should manage by violence to take over power, this minority would the day after be brought down by the counter blow of the mercenary forces of capitalism, because the unabsorbed majority would allow the flower of revolutionary power to be massacred, would allow all the evil passions and barbarities excited by corruption and capitalist gold to overflow. It is thus necessary that the proletarian vanguard organize materially and spiritually this indolent and slow majority. It is necessary that the proletarian vanguard bring about, with its methods and its systems, the material and spiritual conditions in which the owning class will no longer manage to peacefully govern the great masses of men, but will be constrained by the intransigence of the socialist deputies controlled and disciplined by the party to terrorize the great masses, to strike blindly, and to make them revolt. An end of such a kind can only be pursued today through parliamentary action, understood as action which tends to immobilize the parliament, to rip the democratic mask from the double face of the bourgeois dictatorship and show it in all its horror and its repugnant ugliness. The communist revolution is a necessity in Italy more for international reasons than for reasons inherent in the development of the apparatus of national production. The reformists and the whole gang of opportunists are right when they say that there do not exist in Italy the objective conditions for revolution. They are right insofar as they think and talk like nationalists, 
insofar as they conceive of Italy as an organism independent of the rest of the world and conceive of Italian capitalism as a purely Italian phenomenon. They do not conceive of internationalism as a reality living and functioning in the history of capitalism as much as in that of the proletariat. But if instead Italian reality is conceived of as inserted in an international system, as depending on this international system, then the historical judgment changes and the practical conclusion to which every conscious socialist must come, every worker and peasant who feels the responsibility of the revolutionary mission of his class, is this. It is necessary to be prepared. It is necessary to be armed for the conquest of social power. The fact that the revolution is imposed by the conditions of the international capitalist system makes the task of the Italian revolutionary vanguard more difficult and complicated. But these complications and these difficulties should push us to be better trained and prepared. They should not lead to illusions and skepticism. Just so, the revolution finds the great Italian popular masses still unformed, still pulverized in an animal swarm of individuals without discipline and without culture, obedient only to the stimuli of the stomach and of barbaric passions. Just so, the conscious revolutionaries have accepted the electoral struggle, to create a primordial form and unity in this multitude, to join it by a link of action to the Socialist Party, to give a sense and a glimmer of political conscience to its instincts and its passions. But also, thus, the revolutionary vanguard does not want these multitudes to be deceived, to make them believe it is possible to overcome the current crisis with parliamentary action, with reformist action. It is necessary to harden the separation of the classes. It is necessary that the bourgeoisie demonstrate its absolute incapacity to satisfy the needs of the multitudes, it is necessary they be persuaded through experience that there exists a clear and raw dilemma. Either death by hunger, the slavery of a foreign heel on the neck which forces the worker and the peasant to crumple, on the machine, or in the sod of earth, or a heroic effort, a superhuman effort, of the Italian workers and peasants to create a proletarian order, to suppress the owning class and eliminate every cause of waste, low productivity, indiscipline, disorder. Only for these revolutionary reasons has the conscious vanguard of the Italian proletariat descended into the electoral lists, has planted itself solidly in the parliamentary market, not for a democratic illusion, not for a reformist tenderness, to create the conditions for the triumph of the proletariat, to ensure the right outcome of the revolutionary effort, which is directed towards installing the proletarian dictatorship incarnate, in the system of councils, inside and outside Parliament. And that's the essay from Gramsci. By reading it, I don't intend to indicate that the situation that we face now is similar necessarily to the situation in Italy when Gramsci was writing. In fact, it's clearly much different. But I just want to outline that elections are only one, and I would say relatively small part, of politics and organizing. What we do outside and after elections is more important than elections themselves. We also need to remember to see ourselves as part of an international workers' movement and remember that every country is operating with their own specific set of conditions and contradictions. We must look to global struggles of workers for inspiration while also resisting disillusion and skepticism about our ability to change society in our own country. Splits in the ruling class have and will continue to develop, and when they do, we must be prepared to exploit them using every tool of social struggle we have at our disposal. That's our special... Thanks again for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special report.